please stand for the reading of the word from Matthew 3. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, and all the region along Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for, for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for, for our, as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came to Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Good morning, Highland. It's good to see you here today. Uh, my name is Shane Hughes. I'm one of the ministers here. And whether you're here with us in this uh, room or if you're online, we are grateful uh, for you to be with us. We are starting a new series this week called Gospeled, and it's going to run the, the month of June. So if, if you're in town as you're in town, I want to encourage you to kind of hang with us and, and show up, be present to see what God's Word said to us. It was a few, uh, several months ago, I was at one of those meet and greets that's guided and uh, it was one of those deals where you had to like ask somebody questions and all that stuff. And, and one of the questions was, tell three things about me. And so I asked the person I was paired with, hey, so tell me three things that you're into. And they said, I'm into Tesla, Apple, and the Astros. And I didn't know that cults would share you like that, but apparently they did. And then the second question was, what's your good news? Now, I'm going to pause the story there. What's your good news? Now, I think for most of us that live kind of in this, this Christian worldview, those words, good news, gospel, that has a certain kind of frame that sits around it, that shapes the way that we answer that question. But if you would ask to someone outside of kind of that, that Christian perspective, the unchurched, as I had this opportunity to talk to this random guy, what's your good news? I was fascinated by that answer. What's your good news? What's the word that you carry with you that makes you excited? It's something that gets you up in the morning. It's, it's a reason to like do stuff, to engage in the world. What's the story that you carry with you that when somebody asks you, hey, what's going on? You have something to say. 
It's your go-to moment about what's good in the world. The word gospel, we can say gospel, good news in Greek, it's an evangelion. It's, it's, we are the people who hold good news. That's who we are above anything else and anything that we do. We hold the good news and we carry it with us. But even more so, we live so closely beside it for so long that it forms us. We can't help it, and the gospel can't help it. It's, it's just living in that kind of proximity. The, 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 the good news can't help it. The good news seeps into the cracks and the corners of our world until it is everywhere. It's like doing a craft with glitter. It's like living close to a nuclear power plant. Eventually, you're going to glow. That's not true. That's not true. It's the way that people begin to look like their pets after a while. You can change, you can, you can dye the water that you feed to a flower, and the flower will change its color. The gospel redefines everything. It redefines how we talk to one another. In an age where you talk past your opponent and you keep repeating lies until others can't tell the difference in the more, the gospel sets you free to be honest. And honesty really is freedom. In a world where you're curated, your sense of self forces Instagram influencers to rent a grounded private plane to show their authentic self. The gospel sets you free to be vulnerable. You don't have to have all your stuff together. I've met some of you. You don't have your stuff together. It's okay. In a world with a distorted sexual ethic that treats others as objects, the gospel sets you free to intimacy. Do you see that the gospel sets you free? Free to be honest, free to be vulnerable, free to intimacy. And we aren't, we don't just be the ones that speak the good news. You can't just speak the gospel. You live in this close power for so long, you have been gospeled. It becomes a verb that changes you. So for a few weeks, we're going to be thinking and asking the questions about what does it mean to be gospeled? to be formed. And this morning, what I want us to do is, is look at the story of, of Jesus' baptism. Now, Jesus' baptism is recorded in all four Gospels, and each one is just a little bit different. So if you want to do something interesting this week, go back and read the four different accounts of Jesus' baptism and just notice how they're different. You know, when Luke tells the story, he does it so that you can learn one thing. When John tells the story, he adds a few notes that aren't in anything else, and you, you get a different sense. Notice how each writer treats this moment. Here at Highland, we believe that the baptism is the first step of obedience, but it's so much more. It's the place where you meet Christ in the waters. It's a place where you make a public confession that you for now and forevermore will be a kingdom person. It is a death. It isn't like death. It is a death. Where the totality of your will and your sin and your identity that is apart from God is killed and buried. And then you are resurrected again to walk in newness of life. What you experience in the water of baptism is not a symbol of a change in heavenly experience. It is a change in your soul. Paul says it this way, I have been crucified with Christ, yet I'm still alive. It's not the old me that is living, 
but Christ who has taken up residency in me. And the life that I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so, uh, to prepare for this series, I asked two students who were baptized, well, two of the students who were baptized during the pandemic, to talk about what it means for them, why they decided to be baptized, and what it's been like since they made that commitment to God. And I want to show you those interviews. I decided to get baptized because one night I felt like God wanted me to. I also wanted to have a closer relationship with God no matter what crazy things were going on in the world. I know God wants me to be with him because he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so I could be saved. There are many things that have changed since I have been baptized. For one, I have felt a stronger connection with God and I felt more confident in myself and in others. I have been able to understand the Bible more and I have just felt happier and more joyful. I love God because he is always right there with me whenever I need him and he loves me despite all the things I've done. I also love God because he helps me through tough things, even little things like a test or a race. I love that he is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love, and that he delights in me. I decided to get baptized after seeing my two older brothers be baptized, and my parents talked about baptism a lot growing up, so I've always thought that I would get baptized. It wasn't really a question of if, but when I would be baptized. Um, and so right around early spring of 2020 last year, I started thinking about my own baptism specifically. Um, and so my parents encouraged me to send emails to some important people in my life, like teacher Suzetta and David and Ashley, um, and, and just ask them a little bit about what their experience with baptism was like and what it means to them. And so I sent those emails and then the world started to shut down uh, because the pandemic hit. And so I had a lot of time to reflect on their responses um, and I, I decided that I would like to give my life to Christ and so I was baptized. So a small group of my friends and family gathered on August 14th, 2020. Uh, we wore masks and spread out just to be safe um, and my parents baptized me at Jacob's Dream at ACU. So I haven't noticed any really dramatic changes in my life since my baptism. Um, but I, over the last several months, I've been learning what it means to join God in the work He's doing in my life um, and trying to learn how to follow Him in the small everyday decisions, even when it's inconvenient or when it's hard. Um, I've just been trying to learn how to follow God better as His disciple. All right, I got to tell you, um, our youth ministry is killing it right now. Uh, when I was that age, I wasn't half of that th theologically profound about anything. Um, we have some thoughtful and articulate kids. Um, they're both here in this service. Let's thank them for sharing with us. Um, so to set this up, to set up Jesus' baptism, this is what's happening. John is out in the, the desert preaching. Remember, John is an unusual character. He looks a lot like an Old Testament prophet. He's dressed like Elijah. He eats like Ezekiel. And, and he's in the desert preaching, and his sermon is blunt. His sermon is kind of awesome, if you think about it, because he sees the scribes and Pharisees coming, and he asks them the question, who told you about this? 
Who let you in on the secret so that you could be saved? Don't for a minute think that you're special just because you're Abraham's descendants. God can make rocks that are more important than you. Man, that would feel good to preach, wouldn't it? Maybe a little scary. I don't know. But, 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 but it's good news. It's good news to the people. It's even good news to the scribes and the Pharisees because it's going to bring hope that God is going to create a new order of things, a new system, that God's kingdom is coming and it's going to make everything right. Even the scribes and the Pharisees deep down inside know that they need something more than what they have. God is going to bring something new out of this mess. It's kind of like my kid's soccer coach. My eldest, he was in soccer uh, this, uh, this uh, spring, and uh, the coach was amazing. She played college division one soccer for a, a, a big-name school, and she was a pretty incredible coach. And, man, during – now, mind you, this is like pre-kindergarten. Or this is preschool soccer, five-year-olds. But during, during the practice, man, they were doing like these touch drills, and they were doing like kick and run, and they were going around cones. It was amazing. This coach was doing all sorts of uh, cool things. And then we get to the game, and the whistle blows, and exactly the same thing happens that's happened in every other preschool soccer game that I've witnessed my entire life. The, the, the whistle blows, and the whole teams on both sides, boom, come together. And the ball pops out. Ball pops out. And I, you could just see, I, my favorite thing at the game was to watch the coach struggle, right, with seeing everything that she did in practice just could be completely forgotten. And then she's, she's trying to coach the kids and tell them what to do, and it's just, that's all it was. And so the next practice, man, they'd be back to it, doing little touches, we're going to do some passes, we're going to do kick, kick, run, we're going to do all of these cool things. Next game same thing over and over and over. The soccer coach was kind of trying to bring new order out of this chaos, but just can't do it. John knows the truth. The scribes and the Pharisees know the truth. They need a Messiah. And Jesus comes to be baptized. Now, I want you to think just for a minute about this question. Why does Jesus need to be baptized? Because I think this is going to come against some of those assumptions that we have about baptism. Does Jesus have sin? No. I mean, John's trying to make that point. Look, man, I can't baptize you. I can't even untie your sandals. In the story just before this one, he's telling about the people who's coming. The Messiah is going to come, and he's going to do things like he's going to have an axe, and there's going to be Holy Spirit, and there's going to be fire. He says that there's going to be a winnowing fork in his hand. Now, a winnowing fork is different than a salad fork. It's more like a pitchfork. It's the fork that you would use to throw grain up into the air and separate it from the chaff. You take the wheat, you throw it up, the wind would take the chaff away, and you'd keep the grain. It's the coach that stands there in mirrored sunglasses and a clipboard and a pen in his hand without expression, the entire tryout making notes. It's that three-person panel at the musical audition halfway up the auditorium sitting behind this well-lit table and after your solo, all you hear is scratching of pens and a voice that says, thank you, results will be posted on Thursday. Jesus is coming to judge the world. 
Jesus does, isn't baptized because Jesus needs to be made right with God. It's not that there's some sin in, in Jesus' life that needs to be atoned for. Jesus does this, according to Matthew, to fulfill all righteousness. Now, that word righteous appears seven times in Matthew. And in Matthew, numbers matter. And seven is one of those God numbers. You can divide Matthew into five sections, which is like the the books of the Pentateuch, the law, right? There's three major divisions in Matthew, which points to the Trinity. Righteousness appears seven times. And in the same way that your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be blessed. And, And don't practice your righteousness in front of everyone else. And righteousness in Matthew is not, for the most part, ethical minutiae. I mean, this is where the scribes and the Pharisees get it wrong. I want us to think about this in a broad way. Righteousness is right relationship with God. Things like justice and mercy, the care for widows and orphans, loving your neighbor and your enemy. It's being part of the kingdom of God that is working to change the world. So when Jesus comes to John to be baptized, it's to fulfill all righteousness. To show that every step of every moment that Jesus will take for the next 25 chapters in the gospel is Jesus creating a path for the kingdom work of God. Baptism is an end, but it's also a beginning. Ben Seibert preached an amazing sermon here a while back, and he talked about the architecture of this room. I loved that sermon because these beams were designed all to go together to lead your eye down into the baptistry. That's where your eye is supposed to go in this room. It was a brilliant design because people come from all over places, all different experiences, all different stories from the north and the east and the south and the west. They all come together and they meet Jesus in the waters. But there's another way to think about this room. Because baptism is an end, but it's also a beginning. That when you meet Christ in the waters, when you experience that death, burial, and resurrection, you come out of that place and then we spread to the world. Matthew says that the heavens opened. And this isn't the only place that that happens in Scripture. At the beginning of Ezekiel, the heavens open, and Ezekiel has a terrific vision. It's, it's almost scary. And his prophetic ministry pours out of that vision. It also happens, mentioned in Isaiah 64, not that the heavens open to Isaiah, but Isaiah's promise of what will happen when the Messiah comes. In 64, verse 1, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down and make your name known to the enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For you did awesome things that we did not expect. You came down and the mountains trembled before you. You come to help those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. And unlike Ezekiel, a terrible vision of the power of God, what we experience in Matthew is the promise of presence. A voice from heaven says, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then in the Gospel of John, John has this key line. 
He says, the baptizer must decrease so that he can increase. And the same is true for us. And what I love about this moment, what I love about using this story as a lens that we understand baptism through, is that it comes across the grain of what I understand baptism is, at least the baptism that I grew up with. I loved Terry's thoughts during communion, and my experience was very similar to yours. But we, we grew up in a movement, if you grew up in the Churches of Christ, and even if you came from a different movement, my, my sense is, is that you might have had a similar experience that the Church of Christ was kind of born on, in revivalism on the frontier, where preachers didn't have a lot of time to stay in any one particular place, and they, they, they had time to preach one, two, maybe three sermons before they had to move somewhere else. And so they put their everything into those moments to revive the people, to tell, convince them of their sin, and to show them that Jesus is the way. And in those tent meetings and in those small churches on the prairie, people would hear about God's power and want to be changed. And I, and I think we hold on, held on to that idea and that seeped into our DNA so much so that when I was in the sixth grade, the first sermon that I could really remember in my life was like the last day of camp where I learned so much about the detail of hell, I was terrified. That I was motivated by sin, fear, and sin as much as anything. But I, I wonder if Matthew 3 teaches us a different way or another way. Because that is a, a valid way to experience and understand God's work in this world. But it's not the only way. Because Gable didn't come to Christ in a moment of emotional bluster in a tent meeting. She learned to understand the will of God so that one night she understood a new revelation. God wanted her to do something. And she knew God intimately enough to hear and trust that voice. And she watched her parents and her older sisters. And she was poured into by hundreds of spiritual aunts and uncles here in this place. And Griffin didn't feel the weight of soul-crushing sin. He saw the example of his brothers. And he had learned from his parents. And he sought out wisdom from people that he trusted here. Baptism is more than a moment of crisis conversion. Baptism is the revolutionary act of good news in a gloomy world. And your job, your mission in life, is to be gospeled. To allow that story to seep inside of you into all the nooks and crannies so that you can be good news in a gloomy world. Part of what we ask you to do here at Highland is to engage in the pathway. It's those, those symbols on that wall that we see every Sunday. One of the steps of the pathway, how you can encounter and experience God at Highland, is to engage in baptism. It's, 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 a, it's kind of an umbrella term in that sense. We, we call the baptism pathway, is we consider this every part of our spiritual formation process. And this is something we deeply believe in. And this includes our children and our youth ministries, our adult spiritual formation, the work that we do to send people out on mission, those moments in our lives where we have an experience and we come back to tell that story and learn what that means from our lives. From blessing to blessing, the work of our children's ministries and our student ministries 
is to form students so that they trust the Word of God. They know Jesus. That they know they have a real place in our faith community. And they carry that faith through college and late adolescence. From blessing to blessing. From the moment that they're blessed as babies up on this platform to the moment that we bless them as seniors to go out into the world. From blessing to blessing, a life that is shaped to hear, see, and live the gospel. There's a moment in Jesus' baptism where they hear the voice of God. This is my child. And when your life is given to Christ in baptism, when you are ready to meet Christ in the waters, and if if that's a step you haven't taken yet, I want you to know, like, our staff is going to fight to be the one to talk to you. I'm going to win because I'm the preacher. Our staff is going to fight to be the ones to talk to you. And so if you want to have that conversation, you find me first down here at the platform after service, and I would love to have that conversation with you about what are the next steps you need to do. What is God calling you to But when you meet Christ in the water, God says, you are my child. I love you. I am pleased with you. Would you please stand for our benediction? There are a couple of announcements I need you to hear before we uh, dismiss. The first is, uh, we began a new class series for the summer. It uh, was a great success this morning. Uh, so show up about 9.40, 9.30 uh, tomorrow, or excuse me, next Sunday. And uh, I'll be here tomorrow. You won't. Uh, show up uh, next Sunday, 9.30. Eat some donuts. Get some coffee. Uh, make a friend. And then take that friend with you to class. Even if you have to force them, it's okay. Bring them to class with you next Sunday and experience, we, especially if it's somebody different than you, someone that looks younger than you or older than you, someone you've never met before, make a new friend this Sunday, uh, this next Sunday, and participate in that class series. The second thing is that Highland is hosting a vaccine clinic. Uh, we've partnered with Hendrick Hospital to provide vaccines for um, our church and our neighborhood. And now I'm really excited about providing them for our neighborhood. But if you haven't had a chance to get a shot yet and you'd like to, you can come by uh, this Wednesday, June 9th, between noon and 5. Just come to the building. The shot's absolutely free. You probably won't even have to wait that long. Uh, if you would like to do that or if you know somebody that would, please tell them about that. We're more excited about the way that we're telling our neighbors around the building that they too can come. It's the Johnson & Johnson shot, so it's uh, once and done. Uh, so if you'd like to engage in that or tell someone about that, uh, you can find more information on our website. Um, so for your benediction today, may you this week have the courage to live a gospel life. May you this week be empowered by the Spirit so that you can go and live a different kind of life that carries good news. May you live out of your baptism to where God is going to take you in this world to be a part of his kingdom. May you be filled with the Spirit. Maybe you be inspired by Jesus' love. You can also get a donut because we have a few left (laughs) as you go in peace.